Hello and welcome to IPO Stories, a podcast that explores the tracks to IPOs for companies and their stakeholders. Through interviews with professionals who have led companies to public markets, we will learn about what it takes to IPO a business, the do's and the don'ts before, during, and after the listing process. I'm Gauthier. I'm Pear, co-founders of Amundsen Investment Management, a Europe-based equity manager. The Middle Eastern equity capital markets have captured investors' attention the last two years by being the only truly active IPO market in the world throughout 2022 and 2023, with close to 50 IPOs pricing each of those years. To understand more about the GCC equity markets and economy, we're joined by Wasim Al-Khatib, who is the CEO of Lazar and Mina, advising companies and their owners on all aspects of corporate finance, including organizing the IPO process. Before this, he was the CEO of Citigroup in Saudi Arabia and the head of investment banking at NCB Capital. With Wasim, we explore the opening of GCC capital markets to foreign investors, the IPO activity and diversification of the stock exchange beyond oil and gas, and the question of listing location for local, innovative companies. Before we start, we would like to remind our listeners that our discussion is not financial advice, nor an investment recommendation, nor a solicitation to buy or sell any financial instruments, or an offer for financial services or any other transaction. The information contained in the recording has no contractual value and are destined for an informational purpose only. Amundsen Investment Management and the participants in this podcast may have holdings in the companies being discussed. So Wasim, thank you very much for joining today. Maybe you could start by introducing yourself and uh, Lazarus' role advising companies and owners. Per, it's a pleasure to be here with you and the rest of the team. Thank you very much for having me on this podcast. I'm Wasim Al-Khatib. I am the CEO for the Middle East and North Africa for Lazard and the region based in Riyadh, Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. I joined the firm exactly a year ago yesterday. So I'm enjoying the first anniversary and what is off to a great start so far with the firm. Just to give you a little bit of color pair, Lazard Financial Advisory focuses on supporting our local and regional clients across their financial advisory and investment banking services and spectrum. And those range from advising clients on M&A advisory, including acquisition, sell sides, strategic reviews, capital recycling, sell downs, as well as branching into equity capital markets and debt capital markets where we help issuers and selling shareholders of large corporates and uh, government-related entities to tap the equity capital markets, either through IPOs or through rights issues or monetization of uh, assets and uh, shares through secondary offers in the form of uh, fully marketed offerings, ABBs, and other means. We also advise clients on raising capital for listed companies in the form of rights issues and other means of structures. And we are just in the midst of that super cycle that the, that the region is witnessing today. And uh, we are very well positioned by putting Lazard at the core of supporting the kingdom and the rest of the GCC and the United Arab Emirates and others to support their economic transformation plans. And um, it's a pleasure to you know be of support to our clients and our partners and our regulators. And in terms of timeline, when would you typically become involved in such a process? compared to when, uh, as you're saying, the bullish-backed banks get mandated? It's actually a very good question because we are in the midst of having three conversations exactly on this topic. And where we think it's critical for issuers to be familiar is that the involvement of an independent financial advisor early on in the process 
makes the overall eventual journey for the IPO much smoother and much more robust. And let me, let me explain to you how. We all know that the uh, listing a company is not the end journey. It is basically the commencement of a new journey of a company as a listed company to in terms of practicing certain governance requirements, ongoing disclosures, activating that relationship with the investors and all of that. Now, preparing for those requirements, no matter how profitable the business model may be or how well-funded the, the business is, there are certain nuances and certain processes that the company should prepare itself for before onboarding the rest of the underwriters and book runners and legal counsels to go through the surgical due diligence process and preparation of the IPO documentation, marketing materials, etc. So what we do, we double-click and get closer to the management of the company and the uh, board and the board subcommittees to help them understand what to expect from the IPO process itself and start preparing for that. And let me give you some examples. Those could relate to the preparation of a five or seven year business plan by the company, which in a lot of cases may not be present. So we sit with the management and we help them through how they are articulating their business plan, which is owned by the management. But we provide the financial advisor's perspective on how that business plan could potentially lead up to monetization of equity or how that could potentially uh, be perceived by the market in terms of pricing and whether there are capital structuring elements that may need to be revised or addressed ahead of going public on an, and onboarding additional you know, layers of bankers to activate the IPO process. And then we also then help them think through the initial IPO structuring considerations. So if we feel that the company does require a bit of funding, then the IPO purpose you know, can sometimes include a primary capital injection, not just a monetization of secondary shares, to make sure that the company is very well placed and prepared to boost its capital through the IPO as a funding mechanism. We also help our clients by sharing with them our experience and understanding of the listing venues, where they want to list, what are the pros and cons of that, and then who are the key banks with the most relevant and credible experience for that size, for that sector, for that geography that we would recommend for the issuer to issue a request for proposal and invite the global coordinators and underwriters to come in and pitch for the IPO. And we sit with the management and the company to prepare the RFPs for those banks, review their proposals, vet them, interview and listen verbally and physically to their proposals, and then make a recommendation on what we think the right banking syndicate for the IPO that is most effective to deliver on the overall objectives for the IPO. So that entire process takes place behind the scene and usually before you onboard the rest of the banks or underwriters to execute the IPO. And by doing all of that and having the information package ready, by the time the banks come on board, they would have a very clear path on the timeline for the process, the diligence, availability of information, and then the lawyers will hold the pen on all of the, the related disclosure documents and requirements with input from the banks and other DD consultants. But the banks would then be able to get extract the maximum benefit from the management's readiness so we can start drafting and updating the investor presentations, equity story, and start thinking about sizing and pricing the IPO. Now, the GCC region and Saudi Arabia in particular used to be very local equity markets, right? I remember an investor in mid 2010s and it was quite difficult to access. 
And if you look at 2016, the government and the regulators started a very ambitious, very fast transformation program to modernize the stock exchange. Can you give us some insight on why these reforms were deemed necessary? Absolutely. And I think that we have to probably rewind a little bit to understand the overall structure of the economies in the GCC and particularly Saudi Arabia prior to the launch of Vision 2030. So prior to the launch of Vision 2030, as an oil producing nation, the kingdom's revenues historically comprised over 90% of revenue coming in from oil, from the oil business. And then with a growing population coupled with very strong ingredients for the kingdom's, you know, geographical position, global connectivity and influence, and also the fact that we have a lot of other sectors that were still in very, very early stages of growth, provided an opportunity to put in place very serious efforts by the government led by His Royal Highness the Crown Prince to activate Vision 2030 with the aim to diversify the economy away from oil and make our society more vibrant and leverage the ingredients of strength that we have available and put them to work to ensure that over time, we are able to slowly, slowly, and but surely diversify away from oil and create non-oil sectors through the support of the government, but also through activating the strategy of the public investment funds. And part of that effort under Vision 2030 was a sequential launch in 2018 of the Financial Sector Development Program, FSDP, which is a key Vision 2030 program or pillar that was launched for the purpose of creating a strong, dynamic, and stable financial sector that will form a strategic pillar to advance our financial markets and make the kingdom the center for capital formation to support private sector growth, diversify sources of funding, and also attract foreign capital into the kingdom to support the rest of the economic diversification plans. As part of that effort, I'm very proud to say that the uh, Saudi Tadawal group, which is basically the Saudi exchange, has now become the 10, among the 10 largest stock exchanges globally in terms of market capitalization. And uh, we also have a lot of affiliations and index inclusion by MSCI, FTSE, and others. So you have to think about it, Per, that the advancement of the capital markets and opening it up is just one angle under FSDP to ensure that we are able to open up our economy. And as the kingdom shifts from being a net capital exporter prior to 2016 to becoming now a balanced capital exporter and a capital importer as part of the funding requirements to activate the sector diversifications, supporting the giga projects, supporting the 13 strategic sectors announced and activated by the PIF, as well as supporting Saudi Aramco on other strategies within their expertise, provides a very strong opportunity for the international investor community to come in and participate in that and also be rewarded for the risk that they take. If you look at the progress today, end of 2023, for example, and you measure where we are under FSTP's objectives across the KPIs, you would see that we have already made some very good progress across increasing, for example, the number of qualified foreign investors, the QFIs. So we have exceeded now, uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere above 3,400 QFIs in the kingdom. And then by 2025, we are targeting to have no less than 45% of volumes traded by institutional investors versus retail. And I think as of end of December, we have reached around 37%. So I think those KPIs are very achievable. And when you look at the foreign investors' ownership in our stock market, 
I think the target is around 17.5% for 2025, and we currently stand at around 13%. So progress has been made. And I'm, I'm happy to say that through the capital markets experience in the kingdom in particular, you know, with, with special acknowledgement of the efforts of the regulator, the capital market authority, and also the exchange, the Dowell, has demonstrated to the rest of the, the rest of the investor universe globally that some of the most interesting and attractive IPOs globally over the last few years happened in the kingdom. And that includes participation of foreign investors, the volumes that those IPOs have attracted, both building and post-listing. And then third, the performance of those shares post-listing created a win-win situation across the ecosystem, including international and domestic investors. There's two things that strike me in, in what you said. The first is the share of institutional investors as part of the volumes, which, as you're saying, you're targeting 45%, currently at 37 But if we compare that to Europe, the retail volumes are exceedingly low, and actually it's more of a target to increase retail participation. So you have to find a balance there, I guess. The other point that strikes me is the involvement of foreign investors, because when you look at the GCC IPOs and, for example, the ADAS IPO, which was 63 times covered, or the recent Dubai Taxi IPO, 130 times covered, clearly there's a lot of capital going after IPOs in the GCC. And it, it seems almost like the region doesn't really need foreign investors. So I'm just wondering what role do you think foreign investors do have to play in these IPOs? A good question. I think what differentiates the region, uh, particularly here in Saudi in the kingdom, is that the local investor universe continues to be the bedrock of most successful IPOs that we see on the, on the Tadawal. But just like any other G20 nation that has global ambitions and has very strong economic diversification ambitions, the strength and the resilience of the stock market is usually a sign of the underlying strength of the economy. And with us being a G20 country with a very robust economic position, very you know low to reasonable debt to GDP ratio compared to other G20 nations, the uh, supported by the foreign reserves that we have uh, with SAMA, and then a very very clear and a decisive diversification plan under 2030, there is no reason why we don't believe that the kingdom, especially with the improved regulatory regime and high standard of disclosures and ongoing continuing obligations for listed companies with the rest of the market, you accomplish multiple angles. One, strategically, you put the kingdom's exchange on the global map by stronger participation of the global investor community. And that opens up other avenues in the future should the kingdom decide to embark on other experiences in terms of cross-listing of Saudi companies and other exchanges or vice versa. At the same time, we have to remember, as I mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, completing an IPO is not the end journey. Completing an IPO is a checkpoint in the long-term journey for any corporate that wants to tap into funding. So in the future, listed companies, if they are able to establish the connectivity and the relationship with the global investor community, at some point in the future, when ambitions continue to grow, inviting the global investor community through the exchange to participate in future capital raises and for future sell-downs would provide another channel for those companies to tap into funding options. At the same time, the risk-reward conversation with the investor community becomes shared between local, regional, and international. And when you do a quick you know, back-of-the-envelope math, it's no secret that the size of the investment program 
under Vision 2030, be it driven by PIF, Saudi Aramco, Ministry of Finance, and the rest of the private sector, it is very clear that the funding marked for investment does benefit from participation from foreign investors, be it in a foreign direct investment you know, structure or through the QFI regime or swaps on the stock exchange. I guess that also comes back to what the stock market is really for, right? It's actually for raising capital for ambitious projects. Absolutely, absolutely. And like I mentioned, any global market does benefit from foreign participation to keep the balance, stay healthy, and you know, creates optionality for investors where they want to be, what kind of sector they want to be exposed to. And we also have to remember, Per, that while we're talking about equity capital markets, but the quality of the disclosures and the governance practices and the underlying strength of the business models of those listed companies, if they attract foreign investors in the equity capital markets, in the future, should they decide to issue international dollar bonds, for example, there will be an element of a relationship with the international investor community and familiarity that would make that journey even worthwhile. So again, you gain transparency from being listed. I think that's an important point and uh, investors become more familiar. Absolutely. In terms of the reforms that were implemented, were there any that were more challenging than others? And also, do you think there's any reforms that are left to make the market even more integrated into global markets? I wouldn't um, call them, uh, you know, challenging reforms as much as we required laser-focused efforts by different stakeholders and governing entities, including this, you know, the exchange, the capital markets authority, and the rest of the ecosystem, to really go ahead and install the required infrastructure, upgrade the regulations, compare them to global standards. We have to remember, Per, that every market is very different than the other, and I'm not a believer that we always have to you know, replicate exactly what worked in different markets. We should probably learn from the experiences of other economies, other countries, other jurisdictions, but eventually you have to make a decision on what ultimately works for you in this region, in this part of the world, with the, fun- with the fundamentals and dynamics that we have that serves the purpose of the larger story, which is the economic diversification plan and boosting foreign uh, direct investment and foreign investors' participation in, the, in those plans. So to do that, I think most of the efforts have focused on increasing uh, transparency and disclosure standards, which happened as part of the requirements and the continuing obligations for listed companies. The standard of disclosure for IPO prospectuses, for example, in Saudi, is really considered to be of very high quality and very high standards. And that gives comfort to the investors, to the rating agencies, to the brokers, that there's enough and sufficient information for investors to make an informed decision on where the company stands in terms of diligence, in terms of business model, profitability and commercial attractiveness, structure of the governance, and also the continuing obligations on disclosing things in a timely fashion with the right depth and information. So that, from that aspect, I do believe that the Saudi market is in very good shape and more like an excellent shape. The other element revolves around the listing journey itself. So in the past, you know, and, and I'm talking about the past, i.e. prior to 2017, for example, the number of IPOs in the kingdom per year was very scarce. Today, we have between announced and executed IPOs those are now in double digits almost every year between the main market and the second market, which is called Numu, for example, in the kingdom. And the reason for that is because the CMA has enabled a process that is much more clear. The regulations are becoming 
very clear and robust for issuers to comply with. And the pressure and the responsibility is very clear on how the issuers should disclose and act and react, how the bankers and the lawyers who are acting on behalf of the issuer or the shareholders should conduct their IPO preparation process and the support and the acting as a first layer of defense to make sure that the issuer meets a certain minimum standard of requirements. That process, in my view, has matured a lot over the last seven, eight years. So therefore, by the time the file is submitted to the regulator for review, the process becomes a lot more clear on how the approval happens. And look, you know, there are certain transactions, and this is normal like any other market. If you don't meet the certain quality and standards that the regulator and the exchange expect from you, then you should not expect the investors to accept that file to come to the market if you don't meet certain requirements of quality, disclosure, and information. So from that aspect, the process has become a lot more clear, a lot more transparent, and that has facilitated a larger number of deals coming into the market. Another point pair that I think is also important, and this was really activated as part that happened simultaneously with the preparation for the Aramco IPO in 2019, is enabling more of an international process for the listing prior to going public. So let me give you an example. In the past, investors had very limited to no information about an IPO or a company until the transaction is fully approved and announced by the capital market authority, i.e. the regulator. Today, the IPO process and regime, as long as there's everybody's acting in good faith and abide by certain principles, like any international IPO, the issuer, arranged through the uh, financial advisors and global co- coordinators, can now go ahead and have what you call early look meetings with investors to familiarize the investor community with the company, the equity story, the business model, potentially some of some financial information at first to start familiarizing the investor community with the company and also start testing the reaction from the investors that if an issuer decides to proceed with an IPO, how that investor community would feel about this potential deal and this company in particular. And then the bankers work with the investors to understand from them how they would are expecting to approach the valuation exercise and the sizing exercise and what timing they believe is suitable for the market to bring a deal uh, of, uh, of this nature, subject to complying with the regulatory approvals and all of that. So that process, for example, you know, was not practiced in the kingdom before, but was practiced globally. But today, it's, it's almost equal how we do it internationally. One of the questions that's come up in discussions over the last year is the possibility to do block sell-downs or even capital raises for the listed companies. Is that something there's been any changes to? Because we've seen basically two large ones over the last two years, right? Saudi Telecom in 2021 and Tadawal last year. Has there been any changes there? So you're absolutely right. The two most notable transactions that happened for what I call capital recycling or secondary sales were the uh, STC FMO, uh, which was the first one, and then uh, the Tadawal ABB. And, you know, historically, the regulator did not have a particular set of regulations specifically for those those two types of structures. But we do expect that the practices and the experience that both the market and the regulator have gone through on those two deals did develop what we call a framework for other transactions in the market to follow in order for them to get the no objection or the approval from the regulator to proceed. But eventually, this process will become 
much more clear in the form of sub-regulations under, under the capital markets regulations, making it even more uh, robust and mature as a process for, for issuers and bankers and lawyers to follow and, and comply with. So that, that is part of the journey, uh, Per. As capital recycling becomes important, the regulator immediately jumped to the front line and started developing a set of regulations to facilitate and govern these kind of transactions. And in my opinion, this will add more transparency and comfort to the entire process. As you said, there's been a lot of activity in the GCC IPO space, and it's basically been the only working IPO market globally almost over the last two years. Uh, 48 IPOs in the GCC in 2022 and about the same number in 23. So I'm just wondering, what, what do you think will drive it going forward? Is it more privatizations like we saw in Dubai with Salik, Dubai Taxi, DYM Power, etc.? Or, or do you think there's going to be more private market actors that choose to list going forward? So for those transactions that have been either rumored or announced to come up, I mean, there are, there are multiple factors that contribute to the decision-making on, on the go or no-go for, for those transactions. Obviously, the track record of the most recent transactions is usually a very important factor that either boosts or demoralizes confidence for issuers that are looking to go to the market. So if you, if you look at the market, particularly in Abu Dhabi and in Riyadh, most of the transactions over the last couple of years have performed extremely, extremely well. And some of them actually have ranked among the highest performing IPOs globally in terms of IPO share price performance, post-listing and such. In addition to that, there are macro factors that are usually important. And those relate to, for example, availability and the healthy levels of liquidity, which are usually very impacted by inflation rates, interest rates. And we all know that we're going through interesting times uh, where interest rates are now at a record high since the financial crisis. We are also going through very you know, interesting times when it comes to inflation and all of the central banks and the Fed are going through their toolbox to ensure that the inflation rates come down to a certain level that becomes more acceptable and does not take away the growth potential for, for economies around the globe, especially for economies outside the G20 or are suffering you know, from fiscal health uh, and higher debt-to-GDP levels. So that's one of the external factors. And look, global capital markets pair, even though they're individualistic in a certain way, but they're also very, very globalized and connected. So when you look at, for example, the Europe, the UK, and the US, when you see a very healthy IPO market in the US, you see that usually transcending and influencing the rest of the Western world in terms of sentiment, momentum, availability of liquidity, because a lot of invest the investors in both geographies have exposure to both markets on both sides of the Atlantic. And the same thing can be said in Asia, you know, Japan, Korea, Singapore, Hong Kong, Shanghai, etc. So the, the overall sentiment of the global capital markets does play a very important role in how you decide to embark on executing an IPO or not. What I always tell clients in our region is that an IPO process can sometimes be lengthy. It could take anywhere between six months up to two years, depending on size of the company, complexity, and whether they have done this readiness exercise before or not. And the IPO execution windows become extremely important to tap into, and that can only happen if you're already prepared for that process. So 
you know, there are a lot of discussions going around that the GCC has been an exception to the global equity capital markets. And I believe that to a certain extent, that's true because we are going through the super cycle in terms of being in a stronger fiscal position, especially UAE and the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, in terms of the performance of recent IPOs, in terms of the serious and the commitment to diversifying the economies in the kingdom and in, and in, in the UAE, and starting also from a low base in terms of the development of the overall capital markets compared to the Western world, has provided a major upside for investors to participate and you know enjoy the risk-reward on this aspect. Now, what I also have to tell you is that even though we have, to a certain extent, been insulated from the dormant global capital markets and IPO markets in the, in the Western world, executing IPOs in the region, despite all the healthy factors, is becoming a lot more complex and sophisticated because even if you have a deal on the table, how you price that transaction and how much you can raise through the book building process will somehow be influenced by how the global investors feel about the macroeconomic perception globally how they're feeling about geopolitical factors across the globe, be it China-US, be it, you know, uh, Middle Eastern recent uh, conflicts. And that conversation becomes a lot more savvy in terms of bid and ask. And this is where the quality of the bankers and quality of issuers becomes even more important to make sure that the stories of those companies are defended and well-priced and still leave something on the table for the investors to enjoy that risk-reward exposure. So I just want to highlight that, yes, we are bespoke in our markets, but we are still not fully insulated from the global markets. But having the right team and the right issuer navigating through those complexities, in my view, for the foreseeable future in the Gulf, particularly in the kingdom and in Abu Dhabi, we will still see upside in number of deals and successful stories. You talked a bit about the, the global markets. There have been some issuers in the GCC that successfully listed abroad historically. I'm thinking about Network International in London, for example. And I'm assuming some of the tech companies coming out of Saudi Arabia may also be thinking about the US listing because there's so much more tech companies listed there than, the, than in, in the region. So how, how do you feel that companies are thinking about this list and location question? It's a very interesting discussion because we had multiple, you know, discussions behind the scene with some companies in the region who contemplated listing abroad or doing a dual listing between the region and another exchange somewhere else. And what we have noticed is that it's definitely an avenue worth exploring for companies that have global ambitions in a certain geography and listing in that market and raising capital from that market would further bring the brand of that company and its operations and, and, and familiarity closer to the market. But we, what we also noticed is the other way around. So you mentioned uh, Adespair. So Adis, for example, was historically listed on the London Stock Exchange. You know, it's, it's not a secret that the trading volumes on the London Stock Exchange have been a subject of discussions, especially that the performance of IPOs, a number of IPOs in the main market in London have not reflected the historical strength of the market. So ADIS, for example, was a very interesting case study because the majority of its revenue is coming in from the region, particularly the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So being listed on an exchange that's very far away from your where you operate as a, as a business, where your revenue is coming from, from the clients that you service, and especially servicing an industry, which is basically oil and gas in the energy sector in general, is very far away in London 
from the major energy to the world kind of hub, which is the Gulf, what we saw was a very interesting and successful story of, you know, architecting a solution of delisting the company from the London Stock Exchange. And I compliment the management and the shareholders of ADIS for pulling that off very successfully, reorganizing the group and restructuring the group to relocate the head office to Saudi Arabia, closer to your clients, closer to the majority of your revenue, where investors are familiar with that energy sector and its dynamics and its value chain and how ADIS plays a very important role in that process, specifically when it comes to offshore drilling, has created the following. Number one, very, very complemented and recognized story from everybody, regulators, policymakers, and investors for the role that ADIS played in localizing content of a very important part of the value chain for the oil and gas industry. Number two, the familiarity with the investors, both international investors and local investors, with the strength of the fundamentals of the energy sector in the kingdom, the participation and the enthusiasm was very clear and evidenced in the volumes in terms of coverage of the book, the trading volumes post-listing, the premium pricing for the shares, and also the value upside and value creation for all of the investors, including the public investors post-IPO as part of that journey. So I really think that selecting your second or first listing venue should not just be based on the strength of the liquidity of a certain market. It's an important factor, but it should not be the only factor. It's also bringing in the story to the investor base that appreciates you, that understands you, and is willing to invest in your in your trajectory going forward. So that's what, that's what I can say. And I do believe that we are now starting to see and hear more stories of companies that want to list either in Asia or, or Europe and come and do a list in Riyadh and Abu Dhabi, for example. Oh, but I, th- I think it's a good point on uh, going abroad to the US, for example. If Just because you're a tech company doesn't make sense if you don't really have a business over there. If you had the majority of your business there, it could, it could make sense. But um, being close to your customers and the people who understand you is, is probably better. You talked about oil and gas companies. I want to talk about this because I think from afar, a lot of investors would think that if you invest in the GCC or basically investing in oil and gas companies. Aramco obviously is the absolute behemoth, but there's also a number of petrochemicals companies and oil services, but there's also a lot of other companies. There's clean energy companies, there's quite a lot of healthcare companies listed in uh, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, consumer tech. So how can you tell us about the diversification within the listing space? I thank you for this question, Per, because it's definitely an important one. So historically, when you look at the market capitalization of the Dowell, and I'm talking pre-2017 or pre-2019, the blue chips in the market were all, you know, chemicals and banking or financial institutions. Those basically formed the majority of the blue chip uh, stocks on the Saudi stock exchange. But when you look at the diversity of the market today, You have IPOs coming in in the education sector. You have IPOs coming in in retail. You have them, yes, in the energy sector, but in the services field. So Arabian drilling and ADIS, you know, they're in the services sector. They don't produce oil and gas, but they're an important part of the value chain that has helped localize that kind of service in the region. You also have tech companies like Jahaz that came to the market, first to the Namu market, and then in the record time, they were upgraded to the main market, creating a very successful story for venture capital investing in the kingdom, which I believe is going to be a gateway for further successful VC stories and exits in the kingdom. You also started seeing a lot of investment 
going into electric vehicles by the PIF, in tourism and entertainment, fintech, IT. Potentially later on, you'll see other sectors when it comes to the uh, announced projects, uh, when it comes to clean energy, like the hydrogen one, the NEOM. So you have to think of it as a pipeline. Today, we're seeing a very diverse set of IPOs coming into the market. Very rarely today you see any more chemicals or a pure you know, oil and gas company coming to the market. You're seeing a very diverse set of companies coming in. But when you take a five to 10-year view and you look at all the seeds of capital that has been invested under Vision 2030 in the sectors that I mentioned, that is going to create also a very healthy pipeline of what I call listing companies in the sectors of the future, which is clean energy, artificial intelligence, electric vehicles, potentially batteries, is going to deliver that kind of diversity of opportunities to the local and international investors. And I think it's just really exciting to see how this is going to play out over the next few years, given the strength and the commitment and the focus, continuing to deepen the capital markets and diversifying the listed companies in terms of sector and experience. Thank you very much, Wasif. Thank you very much for, for joining us today. It's my pleasure, Per, and uh, always remain available to you and your colleagues. I have um, thoroughly enjoyed this, and I hope you found it to be useful. Thank you for listening to IPO Stories. In future episodes, we will host CEOs, CFOs, advisors, and other participants in the IPO process to learn from their experience, like from Wasim today. If you'd like the show, please follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and share the show with people around you. If you have questions about the IPO process that you'd like us to address with future guests, please get in touch at contact.ipostories.com and follow our LinkedIn account, Amundsen Investment Management.